I don't know. Like when I was growing up trying to be in like rock bands and stuff, like the other guys who could play guitar or sing or whatever, they kind of didn't want you to do it. Like they wanted to make, they didn't want the competition as it were. And I, I think that was just, you know, young men being stupid basically. But uh, it's it's interesting how different it is. You're right. In podcasting versus a, a lot of mediums where everybody seems to be kind of helping everybody up. Welcome back to Podcast Junkies, a.k.a. The Podcaster's Voice. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where we talk to interesting podcasters from all around the pod world, podverse, pod landscape, podcasting enterprise, podcasting universe. And I try to go out of my way to find folks that are interesting, that I feel would have something interesting to say and have a viewpoint on podcasting and on their lives in general, just something that they want to talk about. And sometimes the conversation goes in a bunch of different directions that I wasn't even planning, which is good because it keeps me on my toes and hopefully it keeps the guest engaged. And the goal is that as, as a result of having been on the show, they feel like uh, they got to express their opinions, that they had a good time, and that they enjoyed themselves. And I think for the most part, that's what's been happening. And I'm getting some really good feedback on some of the recent episodes. So I think all signs are pointing in the right direction. So this is episode 52. Last week, I spoke to Rob McGinley uh, Myers from Anxious Machine. That was a fun conversation. And uh, we talked a bit about The Herd and his podcast and um he actually went a a bit personal as well towards the end of that so check that one out if you haven't done so already this week i speak to raymond wiley raymond is the host of shadow of ideas it's a relatively new podcast um and i thought originally it was just a pure history show but uh given that raymond's uh worked sorry lived in um georgia for the for the greater part of his um, life, he's got a lot of experience with that region. And I think he felt like it was an important time for him to provide some commentary on some of the issues that are coming up. um, And that can be spoken from uniquely from that area of the country that he's in. And so um, one of the episodes or uh, three-part episodes that actually stood out for me was the one on the Civil War and like most folks, I, I didn't pay that much attention during that part of history when we talked about the Civil War, and I remember some of the basics. But I think it's nice to take a look at those topics with a, a fresh pair of glasses, if you will, or just the context of having lived life uh, and being a bit older um, and in a place where you can appreciate that information and understand really the intricacies of what was happening during that time. So um, that's a a good one to check out as as a starting point for his show. He's got some interesting um, episodes coming up on the history of the the, uh, Baptist Church in Georgia, the, the history of the treatment of the Cherokee Indians, um, which, which is actually very relevant 
given that uh, I, I actually lived in Atlanta myself, so I'm very familiar with Cherokee County. And when you think about the fact that it was named after the Indians from that region who were displaced, sort of puts things into context. So he's definitely someone that has an opinion <laughs> on, on, on things. And uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Raymond Wiley. This episode is brought to you by Podfly. Podfly is the production company that I currently use to do all the mastering, the editing, the show notes, the transcriptions, the tweetables, everything that you see when my episode goes live. It's because of the team that I have behind me at Podfly. Corey and the folks over there are really fantastic, and I've actually met them in person a couple of times at Podcast Movement, at NMX, and... I really like those guys. Um, I'm friends with them, and I, I can't say enough good things about them. Now, you may be asking yourself why you would want to outsource the audio if you're perfectly happy doing it yourself. And if that's the case, and you feel that it's important for you to have that sort of control, um, then go ahead and do that. But the decision I made several episodes ago was that I wanted to focus on my genius. And that's a term that I learned from my coach um, about the concept of putting all your time into the things that you are expert at or that you want to be expert at. There's a lot of things that I could be doing myself online, tweaking website images, you know, managing uh, graphics for my artwork and editing my own show. But there's people out there that do those things 10 times better than I do, and they do them 10 times faster than I do. So by doing that, by outsourcing that, I can put my efforts into the things that I feel will make my show better. Things like additional research on my guests, things like prepping for an interview, things like working on my interview technique, finding the types of guests that are of higher and higher quality that will resonate more with my audience. So when I do all that, I feel that's the best use of my time. And it's a reason why I've partnered with Podfly and why I think you should give them a shot if that's the point in your podcast where you're at right now. They do an amazing job. They do all the heavy lifting and all the technical work. And they allow you to focus on creating great content and growing your audience, which is the most important thing for me and for you as a podcaster. So what they've done is created an exclusive offer to Podcast Junkies listeners. All you have to do is go to podfly.net slash podcast junkies, and you can check out what they've uh, put together for you. And uh, I highly encourage you to check it out. And that's a good way for you to support the show. It's one of these things that we're trying now adding uh, sponsors. And so if this is successful, then we can continue to grow the show. And it's sort of something that I'm trying out. So hopefully the response will be good for you from you guys. I would love your feedback and let me know what you think about it. Podfly.net slash podcast junkies. So how long have you been? Um, I, I, I remember you were talking to uh, Rob Walsh and you said you, you've been podcasting a while too. Not as long as Rob, of course. But. Yeah, not quite as long as Rob. He got to it a little bit before me. I started doing college radio in 2004. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to the University of Georgia in Athens. And um, that kind of more as time went on, I had my own talk show there and that kind of morphed into a podcast. We were at first looking for ways to get our shows syndicated on other stations and some of the more um, Apple 
heavy kind of folks on the staff, the tech folks on the staff were like, oh, well, we should podcast it too. And we found that we had a lot more success podcasting than we did getting other small and non-commercial stations to run our material. So that, that worked out really well. And so I, I did a show then that was um, – it was kind of like unsolved mysteries or in search of or something like that. It was called Out There Radio. And then when I finished college, uh, I worked for and did a podcast for the Disinformation Company, which is a sort of fringe publishing house in New York. And we did a podcast with them for a while. And now I'm doing Shadow of Ideas. It's my own um, kind of solo project. It's the first time I've ever done it without a co-host or um, some kind of big organization backing me. It's, but it's kind of, I like it better, actually. So. What was what was that out there podcast? Uh, what type of things were you guys looking for? Uh, that was primarily occult, conspiracy, counterculture, that kind of stuff. And it was a lot of fun when we were doing it back ten years ago. And as the years went on, like that, especially with the conspiracy stuff, that whole scene just got so like right wing that uh, I've kind of moved away from that a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to talk about my experiences, obviously, but I've kind of moved away from that as far as the work that I do um, over the past couple of years. So. But was it like, I would just one more on that, on that topic. Was it more of the who shot JFK or like where's Bigfoot? Uh, both. Okay. We, did a, we, did a, we did a North Georgia Bigfoot hunt. It was okay. quite fun. We didn't find Bigfoot, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then we did a couple about JFK and uh, any other any other kind of topic like that you could think of. There's about 80 episodes of the show, and um, and I was you know a lot of those topics. I was I was it was young. I was in my early 20s in college. And I was encountering a lot of those topics for the first time, and I think that gave it a certain kind of um, emotional undertone to it that really kind of kind of worked with the audience a lot and people i still get a lot of emails about that show is that show, it, is that show still it's is, is it up in itunes it is up in itunes we actually i just wrapped uh, a third season of that back in march okay I think it was march and because we had come back and done a third season years later um to kind of catch up on a bunch of things that had happened since then and to kind of also like uh, it was almost like a way to make the statement that, hey, like, like we can still cover these kind of topics, but it kind of leads you away from, like I said, the more sort of right wing uh, gun, gun nut kind of stuff yeah, that yeah, I yeah. think is really kind of part and parcel of that, um, that, co- that subculture right now. But we had a lot of fun. So the new, that newer season was a lot funnier and it was a lot weirder kind of topics. Um, and then, like I said, I, we did the, I did the show for disinformation for a while before Matt Staggs started doing it. And we had a lot of fun. We interviewed uh, a lot of people I would have never gotten like access to had there not been a publishing company kind of there supporting what we did. So I got to talk to Alan Moore and um, Douglas Rushkoff and just a couple of real cool thinkers and writers that probably I had no business talking to. How about, so. uh, how about Art Bell? I have not, never talked to Art Bell. I was on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie once okay. for about 30 minutes uh, promoting a book that I did a couple of years ago about the Georgia Guidestones. And uh, that was a a pretty pretty cool experience, certainly the largest amount of people I've ever, uh, you know, that I've ever performed for. Um, I wish I had uh, – 
kind of talked, I wish I had talked about the subject matter a little bit more and, and, and tried to be less of a book salesman, I guess, uh, in retrospect, but it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, and the high pressure too. It's weird. You're like standing in your mom and I was at my mom's, you're talking about your parents, your parents. I was at my mom's at the time. <laughs> so like I'm in my mom's, you know, extra bedroom, like on the phone. And that's a very familiar experience, but at the same time, you're on for roughly a million people, most most of them being angry truck drivers. So, <laughs> um, so watch out. But so yes, yeah, a little of my background. We can talk about any of that on the show, or you know, whatever whatever you like. So yeah, so we just sort of get into it anyway. There's no formal introduction. So <laughs> oh, okay, so we're rolling right yeah, now. Gotcha. Rolling. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, what type of? Are you born and raised in Georgia? Uh, yes, yes, I was. I was born in uh, College Park, yeah. Georgia, which is near the Atlanta airport, and uh, have kind of gone, kind of went from a very uh, urban setting when I was growing up to a very ex-urban, suburban setting later on. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff I like to try, I'm trying to get to in the shadow of ideas, kind of covers the sort of weirdness that I've witnessed here in the South and how it's a very sort of divided culture. I, I have some experience in Georgia. I lived there a total of five years, uh, three and then two later on. Um, I went down to work for my half-brother in 2001, a month after 9-11. <laughs> oh, wow. And was there for like uh, three years. And you know what they say about family business. Um, that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, don't remind me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, recently in 2000, then like 10 to 12 I was I was living in Atlanta and, and working in Alpharetta. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Well, I'm not far from Alpharetta. It's just uh, just down 140, so not too far away. Yeah. So I'm very familiar. Like when when I've listened to your episodes, you make reference to Georgia, and you know, I, I definitely. It's I'm, I grew up in New York, and now I'm living in Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm sort of a big city kind of guy. So you know, I, I know exactly the mindset you're talking about when you mention it on the show. Oh, totally, totally. You know, I lived in England for a while. I took my master's degree at the University of Sussex in uh, Brighton, which is about as sunny a place as you can get in England. <laughs> it was not sunny enough yeah. for me, unfortunately. But um, and so I had this experience, you know, living there for a while and having the experience over and over again of trying to describe this weird society and culture you come from to a person from another country, uh, from Europe, whatever. And... Um, that tone almost seems to come across sometimes. I feel like when I'm talking about Georgia, like trying to be as candid and as detailed as I can about the South or about where I live. But at the same time, like knowing that there's this sort of otherworldliness to it, to a lot of the people that are going to be listening. And, um, and I think that's fun to be honest with you. I mean, if I'm going to be stuck here living in my hometown in the suburbs or whatever, I might as well make some intellectual use of that. So, yeah, I guess that's my question because, uh, maybe, and you've heard this before, I've been asked this before, but people, someone might say, well, if you hate it so much, why don't you get out of there? Well, I wouldn't say that I hate it. I would <laughs> say, uh, and, and I wouldn't say that I'm against the idea of getting out of it either. But at the same time, it's not, I, I guess you're right in that a lot of the things, that I've covered so far and certainly a lot of the things that I want to cover coming up can come across as indictments of Southern culture or of the history of the South. And I don't know, I guess as a person who's grown up here, uh, 
who's sort of experienced uh, so and seen so much of it on the ground that um, you can't help but want to kind of say something. Uh, I guess say something about it if you're going to be here. And yes, I guess I could leave, but at the same time, it's like, well, for the time being, I have this great source of all sorts of um, social commentary, <laughs> shall we say. It's it, it would almost seem like you're treating it like you're reporting from the trenches. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and, I, and honestly, some of the guests I go for with the show – will often be you know people that the audience has never heard of but who I hear something in their voice something in the way that they're talking and they're like they're in the trenches too and that was definitely um when we did some episodes with Pate McMichael um who's a professor here at uh, University of West Georgia who wrote a book called um clandestine which is all about how the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan was all mixed up uh, in the murder of Martin Luther King. Yeah. Not in a conspiracy way, mind you, but like paying the legal bills and stuff like that for um, for James Earl Ray. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I'm looking for other kindred spirits like that in a lot of ways when I, you know, when I, when I try to get into these shows. Now, the problem is, is of course – uh, when I find these people, these other people who are willing to talk very candidly and honestly about the bare facts of our history here, um, that tends to make other folks in society around here uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I would imagine. Luckily, those kind of folks aren't usually big podcast listeners. So I tend to I've, – I've, I've gotten away with it so far without being tarred and feathered. So are there- Or worse. <laughs> Are there people or do most of your close friends know that you're doing the podcast? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and they're, and they're all very supportive. And uh, some parts of my family are very supportive and uh, perhaps the more extended members of the family who are, uh, you know, have spent less time with me personally. I think they f- might find some of it shocking. But honestly, they they find my Facebook page pretty shocking too yeah. usually. So, And I'm not even trying. You know, I'm just – being honest so um but yeah and that tension whether it's with your family or with your larger society like i can't seem to help but to keep sticking my foot in it more and more so uh the next episode i'm doing is sort of a history slash expose of the southern baptist convention oh wow so i uh, you know we'll see if we'll see if people are interested in that but for me that's like one of those southern institutions that has such a huge and inordinate amount of political and cultural power here. And it just kind of gets overlooked. You know, we're like, oh, they're, they're disgusting. You know, they hate gay people. I don't even want to think about that, whatever, whatever, whatever the like liberal reaction is to it. But when, but, but I want to go, I guess I have more of a fascination with these sorts of things. Like I'm, I can't help but take it a step farther and say, okay, well, what does this look like on the ground? You know, just like, uh, how recently we covered the origins of the Civil War and kind of wanted to give some people around here kind of a background of this confederacy that they were holding up so high and kind of getting into the details of that as well. And, and once you start getting into the details, like the devil is in the details, mm-hmm. right? The minutia is always where the interesting stuff comes out. So, How much time do you put into each episode? <clears throat> if I have a guest – 
Um, I'm typically going to prepare listening to whatever podcast interviews, YouTube interviews, presentations they've done before that I can get online. Almost always there's something like that available. So it's pretty minimal um, unless I'm like really into the person. Like we just had the war nerd on. He's uh, been on a couple of times, right? Uh, he's been on two episodes, yeah, yeah. yeah two okay. in a row. And uh, he was one where I just like devoured like everything I could get. And I was like, okay, I really want this this guy on. But there are others where, um, like with Peyton and Michael, where I just you know sort of read his book. It depends on what their background is. But then on the other hand, there are episodes that I do that are solo completely, where I'm just sort of monologuing about a different topic. Um, and those tend to take a long time to prepare. And they don't necessarily have to, but I, I kind of get obsessive when I start to do research into some of these topics, into building this stuff up. So, you know, areas like origins of the Civil War or the Southern Baptist Convention stuff I've been working on. Uh, sometimes, like, it'll take me a few days longer to get the episode out than I really would want because I just keep, like, I'll I'll think I'm going to get up that day and prepare my outline and record, and no, I'll just end up reading all day again. And... Uh, you got to watch out because that's a feedback loop where the where if you try to get all that stuff in, the podcast just gets longer and longer. So um, you kind of have to self edit a little bit, kind of limit. Well, the other thing is, I imagine there's a lot of people fact checking some of the stuff, especially the stuff that they uh, may not think that you have exactly right, especially when you come, it comes to the topic of history. I would imagine. I have gotten very little of that. To be honest with you, you know, a lot of a lot of the initial I mean, because the show is only two or three months old. Yeah. And a lot of the initial audience of the show were regular listeners to my previous uh, podcast and series that I've done in the past. So th- so like I brought a fan kind of a small fan base with me. And then um, and I haven't really gotten any of that. I mean, and to be honest with you, um, like a lot of the stuff I'm talking about when I get into the, the historical details of stuff, it's it's like what you would get in a high school history class. Okay. Like, um, I mean, I like that. That was that was some positive feedback that I got. Was it where I got an AP U.S. history teacher that I knew wrote me, and she was like, "I would I would share this with my students. What you just recorded. This is exactly the kind of." Uh, essay, quote unquote, you know, obviously it's an audio podcast, but this is exactly the kind of essay we would want our kids to write in a uh, AP U.S. history exam. And I thought, and that was very flattering to me uh, because uh, not only because that the AP U.S. history stuff's been attacked lately uh, as a sort of political tool, but also because um, like that was a difficult test I remember taking in high school. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm up to that level, you know, that's pretty good. And then a lot of the other stuff, you know, it's like open open courses at universities, quoting directly from books. It's not there's it's not like it was back in the day when I would sort of cover weird topics for out mm-hmm. there and other shows where like there was like two different versions. Like there's not really two different versions of like the Wilmot Proviso or the Compromise of 1850. Or something like that. Um, so for so for the listeners who are not as uh, haven't brushed up on their on their history as much, could you give a quick recap of what those uh, two two points are? Oh sure, yeah. Well, they're very they're obscure little pieces of history from the 1850s. The Wilmot Proviso was uh, from this congressman named David Wilmot, and 
back then they were trying to decide um, how to cut the land that they conquered from Mexico in the Mexican War, how to cut that up into states. Because Texas was claiming a lot of it and they were threatening to secede and go to war if uh, – you know, if they didn't get a good settlement or whatever. And so there was all this sort of fighting over the over what was going to become of the land that has now become Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. Okay. And this guy, David Wilmot, being a very sort of um, northern, more liberal, I, I think he might have been a Whig uh, politician, um, one thing that he wanted to get in there was that the, whatever they did with those states, that it would be a non-slave state, that it would, they would be free states. And um, so this very little proviso in a bill caused a huge uproar in the early 1850s because uh, the people in the southern states, like places like South Carolina and Mississippi and Virginia, where their economy was kind of dependent on selling slaves basically down the river, which is by the way, where that phrase comes from, uh, to places like the West, the Red River Valley in Texas. And of course they're dreaming of places like Arizona and New Mexico at the time. So when they hear about Wilmot and his proviso, they're threatening to secede in 1850. And so that leads us to the compromise of 1850. And I'll try to be very brief. <laughs> okay. Uh, Texas settled with the federal government and said, fine, draw our border. And it is what it is now, the same border. Give us $10 million or however much it was to settle our national debt uh, from all of our dirty dealings back when we were pretending to be an independent country. And um, we'll let you have Arizona and New Mexico without any fight or anything. Um and But the condition was that no Wilmot Proviso, of course, because South Carolina will secede if you do that. So it's popular sovereignty, right? The people that move in there are going to vote whether or not they have slaves or not. Completely moot point, guys, because these states weren't even founded till like the 1920s. That's how long it took for there to be enough people in these desert lands to where it mattered. But – this compromise was uh, big stuff. They also – another provision was that they abolished the slave trade in, the, in Washington, D.C. And um, in California, of course, was admitted as a free state. That's the big one. So um, there you go, the Compromise of 1850. Dr. David Blight at Yale says that no one should be able to uh, get go through the citizenship test without, without naming, that information. Without that information. I, I, he's being kind of tongue-in-cheek about it. Though. I thought it was a fascinating three-part series because, I mean, you learn Civil War history and you forget it. And then I, I think lately for me, um, since I'm such a podcast fanatic, I, 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 I listen to all kinds and occasionally I've listened to some history ones and – I just find that I, maybe I'm in a mindset where I'm more interested in the topic, but I, I think that's, that series is what sort of drew me into your podcast as a whole, because you guys really went in depth and it's always fascinating to learn things about your country that you didn't know or had just heard about or had no idea about. Well, you know, it's easy to forget that is always the most boring part of high school history, right? It's that period between the American revolution and the civil war and usually you've got a – a lot of times you've got a teacher that doesn't like really care and he's just like, oh, God, let's get to the war and the battles. That's the only thing anybody cares about, which is not true because if, if we look at all of these things that happened in between, they're really the, the planks that kind of built us up to 
all those big battles that everybody seems to be interested in. And that seems to be really popular in podcasts right now, especially history podcasts. If you've got a podcast about like military history, uh, it tends to be doing well right now. And Dan Carlin being the big example of that. Um, but you know, I you know I've I like his show, but that's not really what I'm going for. I'm really going for something that connects us back to the present, to the world that I'm living in right now, and. And, and getting something from history. You know, last year I was – when I was starting to get the idea of doing a new podcast series, I read this article. I think it was on io9 and it was all about how um, historians should have more influence than economists do. And that it used to be back, you know, back 100 years ago that historians tended to have as much influence on statecraft and – uh, long-term planning and these sorts of things as economists do. And I think now we we sort of get our politics in a lot of ways sort of through the lens of an economist, whether it's uh, Milton Friedman or Friedman or John Maynard Keynes on whichever side. Um, and then and then like everything else just sort of falls in from that. Um, and I'm not I'm not really one that agrees with that. And like I said, maybe it's living here in the South and seeing this sort of historical context of like a society like where, you know, like white flight and school desegregation and people's racial ideas had as much to do with the way the society was built as the hidden hand of economics. And so maybe that uh so, so this idea that historians maybe should start taking back more influence, and uh, you know, kind of, kind of got to me, and I thought, okay, well, it, it, it makes sense to do a show like this, and um, I guess it was already kind of bubbling up underneath anyway. So, yeah, I had um, uh, I interviewed Liz Covart. She's got a, a, a popular podcast called Ben Benjamin Franklin's World or Ben Franklin's World. She just uses that his his lifetime as, as sort of like the bookends for the topics she covers. It's not a podcast per se about Benjamin Franklin, but uh, I had her on a couple of episodes ago. And I, I just think it's um, just like I was telling you, just fascinating how you can learn so much um, from people that are passionate about a topic because they th- you can hear that enthusiasm and what, what it is that they're talking about. And that's probably a hallmark of a good teacher. And now, like you're saying, historians now have a platform to talk about topics that are near and dear to their heart. Right. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be fighting for tenure to be able to, te- to, to share what, share your ideas. At least I, I won't go so far as to say teach people something. I don't, I don't claim to be a teacher. I'm a performer, but if I can convey some of this stuff to people, that's great. And, um, and then, you know, I got lucky too, really, because, you know, I really I wanted to get into the the 19th century because, like I was saying, so much about the 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 culture I live in kind of comes from that. And then it just so happened that right as I started doing this podcast, um, all, the, all this Confederate flag stuff <laughs> started happening, and people started to get really interested in the Civil War. And the 150th anniversary is happening too, right at this time. And so. Um, you know, for me, it was, you know, I was already planning on covering th- topics like 19th century slavery and Jim Crow and, uh, you know, how the police rough up black people a lot and stuff like this. I mean, it, and it was, you know, I so saw, like I said, I feel kind of lucky that 
that, that, you know, I don't feel lucky for the reasons, obviously, that these things have become big topics, but I feel like it's almost like a right time, right place with all this 19th century stuff. And, you know, I'm not done with it yet because, I mean, if we're going to talk about how bad the old Confederates were, we've got to go back a generation eventually and talk about what we did to the Cherokee and the Creek Indians here. And uh, so that's really the next big historic topic I'm working on. So the podcast called The Shadow of Ideas? The Shadow of Ideas, correct. How'd you come up with that name? I ripped that off real hard from (laughs) uh, a guy named Giordano Bruno, who was a uh, 16th, 17th century uh, thinker, uh, occultist. Uh, He was the first guy that came up with the idea that space was probably infinite and that there could be like multiple inhabited worlds. Um, and he was later burned at the stake for heresy. Um, and, um, one of the, one of the books that he wrote was De Umbris Idearum on the shadows of things or on the shadows of ideas. And it was all about how, uh, about the idea of a memory theater. You know, there's actually another very popular podcast right now called the memory palace. I love that. Yeah, I love that podcast. And um, that's a st- it's actually a very similar title um, to the to what we were talking about there. The idea with Bruno was that you build a palace of memory uh, in your mind, where you use it as a mnemonic device to kind of remember all of this data back in a sort of uh, proto literate time. And um, you know these sort of mnemonic new mnemonic tricks are, you know, uh, Francis Yates wrote about this in her book, The Art of Memory. You know, for instance, generals back in Roman times could remember the names of every soldier under their command, for example, using these sorts of uh, tricks. And then this is, of course, the way people do uh, these memory competitions. They build the memory palace in their mind. And that's what we mean when we get to the shadow of ideas, right, is that um, ideas cast a shadow in your mind. You put an image in your mind and cast a shadow. And I thought, well, isn't that kind of what a podcast is? Isn't that like building your own, uh, building your own theater of memory, which is, it was, it was called a theater of memory. Um, and, uh, so there you go. So, and yeah, and then of course, like a month after having the podcast out, of course, I noticed that there's somebody else who has a very similar title. Ranking much higher than me. <laughs> it's a good show. You're right. You really are. So. Yeah, that. I mean, it's actually, it was. It's been picked up by uh, Roman Mars's Radiotopia Collective. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, it's actually one of the first storytelling podcasts that I ran into because at, at that time I was just listening to some entrepreneurial ones because I, I was starting a mobile app and then I saw this one. It was only like they're very short, and that's why it stood out. And then when I listened to, them, they're so metic- metic- meticulously crafted. That uh, was something really different than what I was hearing. And now I'm like hooked on storytelling podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed what I heard. And when I saw how different the subject matter was from what I'm doing with Shadow of Ideas, I thought, oh, we can both reference memory systems in our title if we want to be smarty pants like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's an interesting tidbit because, um, you know, I would imagine – if and when I, I hopefully do get the chance to interview Nate DeMeo, then I can I can ask him where his title came from. Right. And then he'll say, those sons of bitches over at the Shadow of Ideas stole our idea. For the- no, I'm kidding. No. 
No, I think what you yeah. find out, and you you may have come across this already, is the uh, accommodating nature of podcasters, and we all sort of want to help each other out, especially this, you know, the ones that are just getting into it and been doing it for two or three years, and even the folks who've been doing it for longer. I think um, you know they're they're welcoming welcoming us in with open arms. Oh, absolutely, and you know, I tr- I always encourage people. Uh, that I know even, you know, I don't know. Like when I was growing up trying to be in like rock bands and stuff, like the other guys who could play guitar or sing or whatever, they kind of didn't want you to do it. Like they wanted to be, they didn't want the competition as it were. And I I think that was just, you know, young men being stupid basically. But uh, it's, it's interesting how different it is. You're right. In podcasting versus a a lot of mediums where everybody seems to be kind of helping everybody up. And I'm always very happy to do that. And I've had, you know, I try to have people on from time to time who haven't got as much exposure, but whose work I really liked. And uh, certainly the war nerd was one where I was like, man, this guy is fabulous military analyst like you know uh screw tom clancy you know this guy's <laughs> great you know and you you know you got the idea that and then but only one person came back and said oh i had heard of him he's great i could i can't believe you tag teamed you know or whatever um and uh alex green was another one he's just a guy that teaches at harvard you know has a bookstore in uh waltham massachusetts and uh but when I heard what program he was in, because I'd known him for a while, I thought, oh, this guy'd be perfect, you know. Um, and so you're always looking for that diamond in the rough. You know, Brother Russell, that's another one. He, I'm about to do uh, uh, the second part of the Southern Baptist Convention episode. If all goes well, we'll be with my friend Brother Russell, who's like this sort of humorist and uh, crank-calling master. Uh, and... Um, what what's a you crank know, he, calling master? <laughs> uh, you like well, you've heard of the Jerky Boys. Yeah, right? Ma- imagine the Jerky Boys if it was all like pranking fundies, basically. Like if it was all about pranking the like calling church prayer lines and uh, like televangelists and stuff like that. That's that's Brother Russell's background, and so and. I thought his stuff was hilarious and then and then he made a couple of podcasts a few years ago and they were just great where he was just sort of recounting his experiences growing up uh with the Baptists and the Fundies and all this stuff and what that was like and um I thought oh this guy's perfect like he's not just a he's not just a comedian he's there's the social critic element of what he's doing and to boot I don't think anybody's ever heard of him hmm. and so and then that's always the kind of people you really want to find. I mean, it's great to get uh, Alan Moore or the Avett brothers. Or I mean, I've I've talked to some pretty famous people over the years, but they were never the best conversations. The best conversations were always with people you would just just never heard of before. And that's another great thing about this medium, isn't it? That um, we're all under the gun in in some ways to keep putting that content out and. That just is going to lead to more and more people being able to express themselves, uh, I think, as time goes on. Yeah, I think uh, podcast listeners really like the idea of finding new shows that you know very quickly become favorites. And, and as you know, there's a lot of competition for podcasts. There's probably dozens popping up every single day. So I think it puts the onus on us to 
raise the stakes in terms of either through the production value or the the quality of the guests or the quality of the content. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, I tend to really, as time goes on, you know, I, I've really sort of started looking at it more and it may just be how long I've been doing it, but I've started looking at it more from the, through the light of like, how do I feel about it as a performer? How do I feel about it as the creator? You know, did, was I able to express something and get something off of my mind, off my chest um, that's important to me. And, and as time goes on, I don't know, just a lot of these episodes, I, I, I turn around, I finish them and it's almost like, well, you know what? I don't care if I'm not going to make thousands of dollars off this recording. I don't care that only a few thousand people are going to hear it for now. Like it feels good and it feels like what I would want to express. And that's the, ex- you know, and like I don't have many po- like people who influence me as broadcasters or podcasters. I grew up loving rock stars. And the thing that a lot of those rock stars had was the sense of authenticity. Like you know when you listen to their song that that was something authentic and unique about them that they were sort of sharing with you. And I like I like the idea that you can do that with a podcast, that it's not just like the news of the week. I've got to get this five minute thing out or I'll never turn enough monetization over this month. Like it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and that's not what you hear from the YouTube celebrities, right? I mean, I read articles about people trying to make money off YouTube and they're just busting their butts constantly. And I'm just like, you know, if you got into this to be a performer, you know, it might be different from if you got into it to make money. Obviously, those two things have to come together eventually for you to keep doing it. I understand, but um, I don't know. I, you see, you just see a lot of people burn out, you know, and uh, try to avoid that if I can. Even though, I, even though I pod fade myself many times over the years. So, how many podcasts have you started? Three. Okay. And then uh, I've probably been a regular guest or co-host on one or two others as well. And then I've probably appeared on maybe three or four dozen over the years. A lot of it was that I had a book released. You know, I didn't sell many copies, but boy, the podcasters wanted to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what one of the things they tell you is if you're, you're someone who tries to get guests, then look for people who are about to release a book because they're dying to talk to people. Oh, yeah, and they've usually got somebody helping them book, yeah. and that's going to help you. And that's always a, a great way to get a free book <laughs> as well. So that's one thing about podcasting is, hey, you might, you might not make a bunch of advertising money at first, but... <laughs> You get some free books. You get a shitload of books in your living room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You said you were trying to be in rock bands. Um, Did you ever have success uh, playing with a band? At least. No. I had a lot of fun playing with bands, but it just never really worked out. And, um, you know, I ended up moving to Athens, which was interesting because it was like the ultimate music town for the state of Georgia. And then like right after that just sort of immediately started doing uh, radio. And, you know, it may have something to do with just sort of the age 
that I am, you know, I had been in college for a while before I moved to Athens and I, you know, I had been kind of a nineties kid. And by the time I got to Athens in 2004, it was just a lot of, uh, well, at least at the station I worked at, it was just like a lot of acid jazz and stuff, John Stevens and like sort of very indie music, a sort of very ironic, uh, tone to everything. And that was really not like we were talking about authenticity earlier. That wasn't the authenticity that I saw in music. And so I don't think it was like I ever made a conscious decision to quit trying to be a singer. I think it was just more of like, oh, well, here's this gig at the radio station here. Uh, and I, you know, I think I had, I had been there maybe a month when I did my first interview and it was with the guy from the band, super furry animals, Griff Reese or, the most famous band in Wales for what, for whatever that's worth. Awesome psychedelic rock group. And I just thought, wow, you know, I'd spent all of these years beating my head up against a wall, trying to put some crappy suburban rock band together. And then within two weeks of moving to Athens, I'm like on the radio interviewing this person who's sort of like a rock God to me. And it just, I don't know. You could argue that it was path of least resistance, but at the same time, like it was, it was it worked, you know, in a way that I think the rock stuff never really did for me. I still I still entertain dreams all the time trying to do something like that. It just uh you know, usually the podcast gets produced and the band practice doesn't happen. So it's usually how that goes. You choose one or the other. Um more like with the podcast, it's just you. And so if you want to quote unquote put, put you out a song today record a record a new track as it were today no one can no one's going to stop you and you, you don't have to you don't have to worry about like three or four other people coming together over and over again loading in loading out and all that stuff and uh like i said it's just infinitely easier said so like the and you know a lot of things with art i think for some people is about you know, kind of like closing the distance between what you imagine in your mind and what you create in the end. And for me personally, up until this point, like closing the distance between what I want to create with a podcast and, and actually recording and releasing that podcast is a much, much shorter distance than uh, trying to get to rock stardom, <laughs> you know. <laughs> From, well, from my garage. Well, so. it, it's the aspect of immediate gratification in terms of the feedback you get from, you know, once you release an episode as opposed to completing a song. A lot of times, like I said, I've got a, you know, couple thousand people downloading, right? So I'm not getting the constant uh, emails and stuff. Because I said, like I said, a lot of these people are a core audience that have been with me for many years. So that initial exchange of of us getting to know each other a little bit, and let me tell you, I know a lot of the people that listen, and I like that about it. Um, that that exchange happened years ago in a lot of cases. So, but it's always great now when one of those people will say, "Oh, I've been listening to the new show, and mm. I really like it," yeah. and that always makes me feel feel really good. So, yeah, I think uh, it was interesting because I. I wasn't when I, I got the email from um is it Jeff? Yeah, yeah, yeah Jeff is my producer. He's great. Yeah, he, and he I was like, well, you know, cuz I I get a couple, you know, like I'm not saying like I get a ton of emails every week, but 
you know, I, I tried to, I've got so many that I'm listening to that I'm like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just queue it up at some point. Um, and then I saw the first couple and I, I, I think it was probably, uh, n- maybe not intimidated the word, but I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I've got the, you need a, a certain number of brain cells working at the right time to be listening to <laughs> history podcasts. Right. And I was like, oh, uh, you know, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and then U- Ukraine Conflict. And I was like, well, let me hold off on that one. But then I saw that you were doing some stuff around solar energy revolution and uh and then a couple of episodes on the clan and then you started to, and then you start and then it seemed like a complete turn we start you talk to rob walsh on podcasting <laughs> right well i'm i'm trying not to for there to not to be this set format yeah i want to have a lot of flexibility like i said i've been doing broadcasting a long time and sometimes you need a different format for a different concept and, and then, and then, I, and then the three-part series, like I said, is what really drew me in. And then I actually went back and listened to the rest of the stuff. So, awesome. Well, you know, I didn't plan on doing as much monologuing, as much solo stuff when I when I first envisioned the show. I, I thought it would be a, mostly guests, and I've just enjoyed doing some of these presentations so much that I, I keep doing it. So, yeah, it's funny because some people gravitate towards um, interview style because they don't like talking by themselves in, in a room <laughs> or they just have a good rapport with guests and they feel like that's their sweet spot. But I've, you know, like to your point, like your show and some others that I listen to, there's some people that can get on the mic and, you know, pick a topic and just go with it for half hour, 45 minutes with no problem. Well, it always surprises me because I would have, if you had asked me, well, what's your specialty? I would have said interviews. And as much as I like doing interviews and as much experience as I've got with them, I'm, strangely enjoying like i said doing these presentations myself so i hope the audience likes it you know um i think you're right though i, I like the way you kind of described that as you really don't know kind of what to expect like what's about to happen um and that's going to be funny because after we're done with these episodes about the southern baptist convention we're doing an i'm doing an episode about the history of middle earth so oh, wow. uh, yeah so <laughs> there's quite a you know i try to keep a range there so so do you have enough time to listen to other shows? What's inspiring you at this moment? Oh, well, it's typically um, more of a matter of what topic am I working on? So if, uh, like, for instance, I've been working on um, the Indian removal and a lot of that stuff from the 19th century, and a lot of that's been surrounding a book called Jackson Land by Steve Inskeep. He's an NPR host, actually. And so I've been listening to a lot of stuff with him. So a lot of times it'll be like I'm, I'm wanting certain topics or certain people that I want to hear a couple of interviews with. And then I'll find different podcasts that are kind of doing their thing. But as far as like shows where I'm not sure that there, I don't know, I'm not sure that there's any shows really that I'm listening to right now, like waiting for it to hit the RSS feed to hit the next hit the next thing. I don't know. Is that, I, does that make me bad as a podcaster that I don't? <laughs> no, I mean, I, it just means that you're so immersed into getting your own show out that, you know, it's, it, it's what tends to happen, right? Because we start uh, producing our own shows and then the other shows that we had seemingly more time to listen to fall by the wayside. Exactly. But now, however, I will say, and this is not, I'm not dissing podcasts when I say this, uh, there are certain TV shows <laughs> that okay. I'm just like every week got to watch. Uh, and right now, uh, and maybe some of your listeners are into this one too. True Detective. Love yes. that show. 
loving. I it. have not seen the uh, the new season, but the, I was definitely totally engrossed in the uh, the first season. So, and I'm glad they sort of changed it, didn't keep the actors. But uh, I, I have you seen the whole second season? Multiple times, except for the last episode, which is okay, going to so, be a, a 90 minute episode. So I'm like super excited about this. But I, what I don't get is like every time I see somebody talking about this on social media, Facebook or whatever, they are like dissing the second season of this show so hard. I don't understand. Like I don't understand everything about it. The second season of this is the exact same quality level. It's just the writing is just as good. The characters are just as good. And I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering if they're all going to survive next week. Yeah, basically. don't 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 spoil it for me at I least. <laughs> so, um and so and then oh, I don't know. Hell on Wheels, that's another one that's and that's history, right? So, yeah. I watch that a lot. Uh they're they're wrap, they're going to be wrapping that up next year. Um and yeah, that's those are the and then of course like old animated shows and stuff like that. But um and then, but I'll say this, I listen to more podcasts than I do radio. Now I used to listen to a lot of FM radio and that between Spotify and podcasting has pretty much in a lot of ways fallen by the wayside. So, and you heard we'll that, uh, and you heard that, um, podcasting is coming to Spotify, right? Oh, we are already on Spotify, bro. Okay. Very yep. cool. So yeah, well, that was, that's actually the coolest thing that's happened to me podcasting related in the past couple of weeks was that. Um, we got vetted by Spotify. We're one of the first, and they're rolling out podcasts on Spotify right now. About ten percent. This, this is straight from Rob Walsh today, so this is fresh information. <laughs> um, roughly ten percent of iOS users in the U.S., Sweden, and a few other countries right now have access to the podcasts that are currently in Spotify. And then, as the summer goes on, they're going to roll it out to one hundred percent of iOS users. And then when that's good, then they're going to roll it out to Android and desktop users. So eventually I will be able to get my own podcast on my Spotify, on my Samsung phone. So <laughs> That's an exciting time. Yeah. Well, you know, my, like, my dad will be able to listen to it without a bunch of trouble. And I, that's, I like that kind of stuff. You were talking about um, apps earlier. And other than having your own app, this Spotify thing is about the best thing that could happen to a podcaster as far as like reaching out to uh, Android users and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think the biggest challenge is to describe to non podcast listeners. Cause we sort of live in a little bit of a bubble. And then once we get out of it, we're like, I have a podcast. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I dated a girl one time, this is years ago and I'm not going to bring up any names, but um, she like referred to, my podcast, which had like five or 10,000 people listening to it at the time is your little show. <laughs> and, um, and it's just that cognitive dissonance where there are some people that get it and that's the way they're taking in some of their media. And if they have taken in media that way, they understand how it works. And there are a lot of people that just aren't, and it doesn't necessarily matter what age they are. Cause that person was the same age as me, but did not get it. And, um, but you know we're not together now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think I was just from the wrong side of the tracks. I think was kind of how that worked out. So, um, but 
It's but by and large, the people that are in my life, and I think this is this way for most podcasters, are very supportive. They love being able to see their friends, family members, relatives, whatever, um, be performed for them in a way that does not require them to go and drive to the bar on Friday night and pay the five dollar cover and listen to three other crappy bands. And then you get to hear them or what, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so instant that like even if you, if like your, your elderly parents can take in what you're doing, you know, that's definitely taking it, kicking it up a notch. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, uh, when last we left off, I think we were talking about, um, how you were, you grew up loving rock stars. Um, <laughs> Yeah, still do. <laughs> yeah, still do. And that, uh, no, you were, you know, I mean, you were saying you weren't obviously looking for the, the podcast to be like ten thousand, you know, million download famous, and, <clears throat> but I think you appreciate the fact that it, you're, you're growing at a pace that's comfortable for you, um, and that you're you're bringing on the the listeners that are are going to m- more closely align to what you're trying to put out there, right? Sure, sure, and and I've been. Also pleasantly surprised at the reaction from uh, the audience I had built up in the past, which, you know, a lot of them sort of came to my work because they were interested in things like the occult or conspiracy theories or what have you, topics I don't really talk about very much anymore. And um, it's amazing how many of them still like what I'm doing. And there's very little backlash, uh, shall we say. Uh, I got a lot more I got a lot more uh, alienation from my audience from the third season of Out There than I have from Shadow of Ideas um, because I I just wanted to make it real clear when we made that third season that um, like I just wasn't part of the conspiracy uh, (laughs) industry, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) for lack. I mean, I hate to use that word, but that's kind of the way it's become. And I really just kind of wanted to distance myself from that, especially because so much of it, like it just seemed like as the years went on, like the conspiracy theories that people would put out became less and less believable. Maybe I just became less and less gullible. I don't know. But um, and also that they had kind of everything had shifted to the right, like I said, and that's just really not for me. So don't you find that with the the conspiracy crowd that even if you debunk one of them, they'll just find another one to latch onto. Um, they're not going to accept you debunking the first one, <laughs> like to forget about them finding another one. Now, um, <clears throat> psychologists have done some work on this. There's been some studies done and apparently the only factor which you can use to guess whether someone's going to be into a conspiracy theory or not is whether or not they're into other conspiracy theories. That seems to be the, the bottom line as far as, well, you know what I mean? Like people often want to characterize conspiracy theorists as like uh, 20 something year old libertarian white guys. And while that is a true, I mean, while that generalization has some truth behind it, um, really it could be anybody from almost any background. Um, and like I said, if if they, it's, you tend to if you believe in one, you tend to believe in many, and um, and that makes a lot of sense because if you, as you get into it, you find that it's a genre, right? It's um, with recognizable names, just like any other genre of literature or genre of um, filmmaking or whatever. And so, I guess there's there's 
uh, I guess celebrities or in in that space where you know people people follow certain people and and they're they're pretty consistent with their with that message. Yes, yes, there are conspiracy celebrities, definitely, and um, and it's an interest, and there are also like um, like new age woo celebrities as well. And I've worked, I've known a lot of people who were in that kind of genre as well over the years, and they all they're all decent people, most of them. I mean, there's only there's very few people. Even though I don't agree with a lot of these people's beliefs, there's very few of them that where I would characterize them as just raging assholes. Uh, <laughs> Alex Jones, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, I hate that guy. I think he is fascist poison to the republic, and he thinks he's trying to fight the American Revolution all over again, just like the Confederates did. Well, that's, I think that's, I, I think it's safe to say I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still in the process of polling my audience, so I don't know how many Alex Jones fans uh, <laughs> I'll actually have, but I don't think it's going to be that many. So I think uh, I'm, well, pretty, I'm I mean, pretty look, safe there. You know, I mean, look, I'm sure if they're out there, they'll write to you and be like, oh, no, Alex Jones, he's good for this, this, and this, and this reason. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody's got their reasons and everybody's got their sort of uh, – their team, you know, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like whether we're talking about political parties, conspiracy theories, whatever. I mean, we come from a country that's obsessed with sports, obsessed with teams, obsessed with like military history, stuff like this. And um, people want to be part of some kind of struggle, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the same way, when we all do our podcasts, right, we're, we're trying to engage our own loyal tribe of followers to you know you know follow along with whatever message we're promoting right i guess i mean i'm just trying to be honest i'm just trying to express what's in my heart and if other people like that that's great now i wouldn't have given you that answer a couple of years ago i'd have been like yeah sure that's exactly what you want to do you want to appeal to the appeal to the audience and all this kind of stuff but honestly like from a personal level as an artist, like all of that stuff is great. Fan mail is great. All that kind of stuff is great, but it's not as great as coming to the end of recording something or creating something and feeling like you've really expressed what, like I said, what was in your heart. And if you can connect that back to something intellectual, back to something that's factually true, oh, that makes it even better, of course. And that's the thing about someone like Alex Jones or a lot of these conspiracy types. Is they can connect you to your emotions, like they can they can get you in that zone as as performers and entertainers. But then the problem comes with you know what kind of facts and data do you really have to back that up? And the problem is, of course, is that you can't argue with these things with these folks. Like you you cannot win an argument. I mean, like for instance, um, Jonathan Kay, who's a, he's a writer. He wrote a very good book about uh, 9-11 conspiracy theorists called Among the Truthers. I was just riveted by this book. I think I read it in about one sitting. Uh, and partly, partially it was because I had met some of the people he was talking about in the book making out there. And he says this in almost every interview he does about that book. He says, I never won an argument with a 9-11 conspiracy theorist. You know, and he doesn't believe any of it. Neither do I. Well, maybe not any of it, but he doesn't believe, you know, the main theses of it. And neither do I. And uh, but you're not going to win an argument like, you know, they're they 
the point I think with a lot of folks, once they've, and it can be this way with anything, by the way, it can be this way with religion or whatever else it is. Like once you pass a certain point in your life, you see yourself as the true believer, white knight, crusader, you're on a mission or whatever. If you're not careful, you're, own abilities to reason <laughs> through facts and data can shut down at that point. And facts matter a lot less than mission and emotional connection and always and stuff like that. So what ends up happening is if you argue with these people, almost inevitably, if they respect you, I guess if that's the right word, they're going to challenge you to a debate. And you had to think like a debate, like if you challenge someone to a debate, I mean, this is very common amongst conspiracy theorists. They challenge you to a ba- debate. Um, well, that isn't because they want to like work out what they believe, is it? Right. A debate is this thing that you do for an audience. It's like something that you do to convince other people of your side. So, and that's typically how it works. They want to debate they as, as a stage for their ideas, pushing their ideas onto other people, not as as a way to like find out more about what they believe or work out facts. They've already got all the facts that they need. And it's the same way with a lot of I mean, I hate to, you know, I hate to be this way, but it's really the same way with a lot of um fundamentalist Christians as well here in the area of the country that I live in. Like they take the Bible as inherently true, like from start to finish. And so in doing that, they a lot of times like you can't necessarily – if you have a moral argument against something that they're doing, you can't really engage with it because they have this – something that they go back to that they've just accepted as being true. So there's no point in like debating the Bible with with folks like that just as, as there's no point in debating 9-11 conspiracy theories um, with the truth. There's, if your goal is to – um, get through to that particular person. Now, if your goal is to like make it a thing for an audience, I guess that can be okay. But you know, I just get really tired of the skeptics versus the conspiracy theorists and the atheists versus the Christians. Like it just gets old, you know. <laughs> so is that is that a lot of what what drove you to as you were starting to think about what you were going to do for a new podcast? Uh I think the main thing that's been driving me, honestly, this you'll think this is weird, is that I've ended up moving back to my hometown where I grew up here in suburban Atlanta. And, you know, I lived in really, I don't know, like much cooler places before this, like Brighton in the UK, which is like a beach town, you know, and Athens, Georgia, which is like this great college town we walk everywhere and there's you know pretty girls everywhere and cheap drinks everywhere you know whatever you know and um so now i'm back here in the burbs right and it's just like every literally every exit off of the interstate that runs next to my next to where i live off of every exit there's a sign that for like the next tea party meeting and like no socialism and all this stuff. Like, I mean, this is like, you want to talk about a small government area of the country. This is it. And it's even with that said, the people here are still like, you know, very, you know, rah, rah tea party. Also, if you look at, I mean, it's like I was saying with the evangelicals and the fundamentalists, I mean, they, they make up like two thirds of the population here. And, it's all, it's like these, you know, these are, would usually be things that would be like, I'm not want to live there, you know, and that, and this is one of the reasons why, well, here, now you're stuck here, 
like, you know, my family's here, you know, my partner and her child are here. My dad's here. My dog's here. You know, I'm not, I can't go anywhere. So I have to kind of sit here and come to grips with what I live in. And a lot of people I think would probably just dismiss me for saying that or make fun of me for saying that. But that's, you know, that's the way I feel, you know. And so when we start talking about like civil war history or we start talking about 60s civil rights movement or we start talking about whatever on the show, The Shadow of Ideas, um, there's a local element to it as well. There's a there's an element of it where it's connected to the actual life I'm living, to the actual place that I'm at and to, and to the attitudes of the people around me. And, um, and so I, that's largely what's come of it. And, you know, and if we look at some of the topics that I've got coming up, you know, Indian removal, the trail of tears, Andrew Jackson, this kind of stuff. I mean, that all happened right here. Like one of the trailheads for the Trail of Tears, Six's Tavern, is four miles from where I'm sitting right now. I live in Cherokee County, Georgia. There isn't a Cherokee Indian to be found, you know. Um, and so you – it's all of these sorts of things that make you – they're the stories of what happened where you were, where you lived and they're like largely untold. And if they're not untold, they're told by some half-ass – football coach who's who's got um who's probably obsessed with military history like if you're in high school or whatever and that's what he teaches during the day i mean that's that's the way it is in the south you have a male football coach he teaches history all day and that's who teaches history here so it's not necessarily people who are going to be uh interested in much more than like civil war battles really so you don't get it and you don't feel the sort of the visceral realness of it, I guess. I know that's kind of flowery, but um but you but I but I guess I feel I don't know, maybe I've just been studying history for so long. You know, another one of the stories about Georgia that I do want to get to on the show is is this uh this demographic phenomenon of white flight and suburban sprawl that really characterize where I live. And that's something that I witnessed as a young person as well, moving from a um, 90% African-American community to a 95% white community when I was 12 years old. And so, like I said, so many of these stories and so many of the, the topics I want to talk about come back to things that have actually touched my life. And I think most people don't realize how much history touches their life. And uh, I guess that's what, I guess that be another reason why it's called the shadow of ideas. Well, it's interesting because it's sort of this perfect storm of, of events that have happened that have allowed you to be in the position to have had the experience podcasting, to have had the experience living where you've lived and where you now live that really uh creates this this show and 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 this you know this this you being the the, the product of your in current environment because i think it's what's feeding your desire to tell these stories that's and that's what's making these episodes so powerful i appreciate that 
They are power. They're powerful to me, at least. And and when you hit, you hit on the right verb there, feeding. Yes, this this is feeding me. It ain't feeding me any income, <laughs> but it's feeding me uh, intellectually and emotionally and spiritually. I guess even even spiritually a little bit. Why not? You know. So when you think about how you want to grow your show and and how you're developing your show, is there is there someone? In your past, that was a, a teacher or a mentor who inspires you or, or has inspired you? Not specifically in terms of podcasting. There have been people that have come through my life at different times who inspired me in different ways, kind of made me who I am, reminded me of the possibilities of life. You know, the first person that comes to mind is um, my theater coach in high school, Les Conley. Uh, he just retired actually this last year. And that man, he had, now he had been a football coach as well. And he moved over and became this drama coach. And he had probably 15% of the population of the school participating. And he was the first person that I ever saw. I mean, certainly more than there were cheerleaders and football players. There were more kids in the drama program. And this was in like, like I said, redneck Cherokee County, Georgia in the nineties. You know, and um, he was just such a good administrator. He was such he was so good at putting all the different pieces of a production together and allowing the, the kids that he worked with the latitude to be able to do that themselves and to pull something together from start to finish. He let me direct and act in uh, Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet when I was a high schooler. And I had experiences of putting together play productions from casting, well, from script editing and casting all the way to to the performance night. And um, that that just taught me an immense amount and put this sort of ambition in me. Maybe it was going through that process so many times and feeling the, the sense of, of being fed that you get if you're being a performer is what you're into. And I think by the time high school was over, I had been through that process so many times that it was almost like there was no turning back, you know, and you were bringing up rock and roll and stuff earlier. And so for years after that, when there was no drama club or high school theater to be a part of, uh, you know, only crappy community theater in my area at the time, really. Um, you know, I turned my attention to being wanting to be in a rock band and, and try just as hard as I did to be in a, to be a drama kid or whatever doing that. But um, circumstances were different, right? There wasn't that there wasn't that larger infrastructure. All you had really was the egos of five 18 year old boys. You know, and it's a miracle for that things that rock bands go anywhere. To be honest with you, if you think about like that, most of them are. 22, 21 year old boys, you know, historically speaking, um, like, uh, the term swinging dick really comes to mind. If you remember that movie, uh, no country for old men, you know, Woody Harrelson's like, here's, here's a hundred dollars. Let me know if any other swinging dicks check in. And everybody that ever played in a rock band was one of them. It seems like to me. And so it was just too much ego, you know, uh, on your part and on everyone else's part, you know, and then not enough progress. So uh, th two or three years of that passed 
And then I, you know, moved to Athens and started going to the university. And immediately I was like, I want to be part of the radio station. And, and here I am today, 10 years later, 11 years later. So, Well, it's interesting. And I think you're probably going to find that you're going to begin influencing people. If you haven't already, I'm sure you're, you're starting to get feedback on your show. And so there's probably young listeners out there now who, you know, whether they are interested from a podcast perspective or just from a historical perspective. Um, do you think about the fact that you are now tra- training or ed- educating a new generation? Um, I think about the prospect of it. You know, I'm not sure, I, you know, I'd like to say that I was educating another generation or whatever, but I don't know how much of that's going on. I don't really know. No one's told me that yet, uh, although many people are listening. I think, um, but yeah, the concept of that, sure. And especially given the environment and the kinds of things that so many young people have to deal with. Um, you know, I mean, it's easy to, as an adult or even as a younger person from a more urban or suburban background to discount the conditions that a lot of intellectual conditions, spiritual conditions, whatever you want to call them, not just physical, that a lot of kids are forced to live in uh, in the country because, I mean, very sort of rural, backwoods place and you're different. You know, you can end up in a military school or Christian boarding school or homeschooled with no friends for your whole teenage life or whatever. And it's typically the kind of ideologies that we talk about on the show, the sort of the bad guy concepts of the podcast that end up putting kids in situations like that. So, you know, I can remember uh, when I was a teenager listening to Jello Biafra spoken word albums. Now, I listen to them now. They're not as good as they were then. Uh, <laughs> but I remember there was one particular track he did where he talked about kids who were like trapped in these like fundamentalist boarding schools and like, you know, gay conversion therapy and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and just thinking that the, like that was the most noble thing, like – you know, it's more, I think there's something more noble, something more admirable in reaching out, even if you made no money and never, and never became famous or whatever, like being able to, the idea that you could reach out to someone like that, you know, and, and, and be sort of like a voice in the, from the darkness, you know, or a light in the darkness, maybe, you know, whatever kind of analogy you want to use there, because I think it's easy, especially for teenagers to think that there's nothing over the next hill because you haven't seen it yet. And, you know, so, um, you know, some of the things that I say show people that there's something over the next hill. That's great. Very cool. What, what do you think are going to be the biggest challenges as you look to grow the show? Um, growing it in general. I mean, it's, it's much harder to grow than it is to create. Right. It's easy to create the episodes. You're just, you know, follow your heart and read a bunch, basically. Uh, the, the trick is really getting people to notice it. You know, we're in really the toughest time right now for a podcast because we're, we've, we're, we're no longer new and noteworthy in the iTunes store. And we're so new 
that on most days we don't rank in the top 200 for the history section. So it's very hard for people to see our podcast if they're not specifically looking for it. So, you know, if you're listening, you know, give us a subscribe on iTunes if you would. But, uh, but seriously, like, so this is the hard time. It's trying to get that initial traction up. And, you know, I feel very blessed that that things are as good as they are, even though it is a hard time, because for most people, they would be starting from nothing. You know, and I at least started off with a pre-existing RSS feed and a legacy audience. And um, I can't be th- I can't be thankful enough for that because that first thousand people is or first 2000 people is just really hard. Yeah, definitely. Well, Raymond, I mean, I think you have a, a, a show that's really interesting. It's obvious that you're, you're putting a lot of passion into it. And I think if you continue to focus on those episodes, um, like I said, the, the civil war reporter really stood out for me where your, your, your combination of, your historical context um, and your education, and then you couple that with some of the these guests that you've been bringing on. You really find, uh, I think, a sweet spot that's really entertaining to listen to. And I think if if you keep doing that, I, I can't see anything but good things uh, coming for you with the show. Well, I really appreciate that, Harry. And uh, you know, same goes for you, man. I you're in the same game as I am. So um, best of luck. So uh, where's, the, where's the best place for folks to track you down? Uh, yeah, they can find the show at shadowofideas.com uh, or in the iTunes store, right, which is where most people get their podcasts. Um, it's also like on Stitcher and a bunch of the other podcast directories and Spotify. Yes, that's also. right. <laughs> so um, check that out. You may not be getting podcasts on your Spotify yet, uh, mostly iOS users right now. But that's going to roll out this fall from the looks of it. And we're already listed, which makes me so happy because remember those rock stars I was talking about? That's where they all are, baby. They're all on Spotify. <laughs> well, you didn't make it onto Spotify as a, as a musician. Now you got to make it on there as a podcaster. Right, right. <laughs> right now, if they'll just decide to actually pay us royalties like they do the rock stars, uh, we'll be good. Yeah. So. Well, thanks for your time again, Raymond. Thank you, Harry. Have a great night. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Raymond. As I alluded to at the top of the show, he is definitely someone with uh, an opinion on the history of the this country. And I think the fact that he's bringing on some interesting um, historians that can complement um, what he knows um, allows them to have these in-depth conversations um, and it's one of the beauties of podcasting where you can partner up with people that you respect and, and people whose opinions you value um, and, and really put out some really fantastic content. And uh, he mentioned some of the episodes he's got coming up. I'm, I'm definitely going to be listening. It sort of rounds out my stable of podcasts because I, I really feel like I need to be listening to not only entertaining stuff, not only educational stuff, not only business stuff, but things that um, sort of provoke me to to think in a way that I might not have thought if I didn't have the information available to me. And it may not resonate with you and you may not be completely on his side, but I think um, it's something I touched upon when I, when I had uh, Jason Stapleton on um, cause he's a libertarian. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not, but I, I think um, there's a space and an opportunity to provide um, 
opinions and values and, and, and points of view on a show where ne- you, you may not necessarily uh, agree 100% with everything that's being said. Um, but th- that doesn't mean that you can't have people on who can express those opinions in a way that's articulate and thoughtful. So I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear some feedback if you did. Uh, as always, we'd love to have uh, so, some love for the show in in um, in the form of uh, ratings and reviews. So just go to podcastjunkies.com. You can see the iTunes link there or just go to uh, podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes. It's the best way for you to um, show some love for the podcast. Um, so I did want to read out a recent review. It's from Richard Davies, co-host of How Do We Fix It podcast. He writes, hey, this show is solid. Warm personality, interesting guests. The conversations lift the curtain on the world of podcasting. Well, thank you, Richard. That's a really nice thing to say. If you'd like your review read on the air, the easiest way to do that is to actually leave one on iTunes. I'd be more than happy to give you a shout out. So thanks to Richard and thanks to all those who've left the review in the past. It is humongously appreciated. Um, Your support is um, really something that motivates me to keep going. And I just love the fact that you guys are listening and checking out the show. If you got any suggestions, as always, uh, leave me comments and contact it. Contact me via the, the webpage, via Twitter, via Facebook, whatever's easier for you, Instagram, even if that floats your boat. So the podcast retention hashtag for this week is going to be shadows 52. So thanks, guys. Have a fantastic week.